And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with the powerful Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct from still snowing <laughs> Smith River. It's April, and it literally was snowing an hour ago. They're trying to snow. Flakes were coming down, Bear. Uh, my neighbor, who's been here for 71 years, is saying this is the coldest uh, on record he can remember. Coldest year of his whole life up here in Gasky. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I would take that experience over any uh, analytics you get online. So, um, you know, our, our buddies that uh, we've had on that talking about the grand solar minimum and climate control and all that, um, it uh, seems to be raining true more than ever. So um, pretty wild. Uh, and, I, uh, <laughs> I grew up in uh, Northern California in this neck of the woods and uh you know, I've been around for at least 40 years now. So uh, I don't remember, I don't remember it ever being like this. Yeah. Not even well, close. Yeah, it well, doesn't snow, you know, this close to the coast. Yeah. It's um it's been pretty wild and uh record snow in Mammoth, I heard this year, uh in the Sierras just getting dumped on. So if you're into snow sports, you're stoked. If you're a farmer, it's getting a little stressful. Uh, we were talking about uh, the importance of greenhouses years ago, and that's becoming more and more apparent than ever. So uh, today we're going to be touching on agriculture and building and our favorite plant, hemp. Uh, very exciting. Um, real quick, just a reminder, go to musicandsky.com if you want to hang out with Bear and I and Kelly Brogan and Marty Leeds and Eileen McCusick and Zuby uh, and uh, Steve Headflux, all these amazing people we have uh, this summer, the Alpha Vedic um, booth will be going. I'm very excited about that, Bear. Uh, speaking of uh, hemp, we will have our Life Force Protein Orchadas kicking, which do have a hemp base in them. Uh, so very excited. Go and to music fruit seeds. And fruit seeds, yes. And uh, herbs. And herbs and mushrooms and all the good stuff. And other things. Yeah. <laughs> and um, adaptogen so, mushrooms, uh, not the psychoactive since mushrooms. Since we have a hemp theme going on here today, should we do a Joe Rogan and uh, roll up a spliff while we talk? Or, <laughs> or what should we do here? Long as it's a non-THC uh, uh, psychoactive joint, Bear. Um, I've never had anything psychoactive in my entire life. Never. Uh, no, let's get lit. Where's the bong? Let's take some bong rips. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, definitely fan of everything involved with the cannabis sativa plant. And um, one last thing, uh, Bear, uh, uh, just a reminder, if you speaking of cannabis, because there'll be a lot being smoked at this event. Uh, I'll be in Nashville, June 3rd, 4th. I, I can't, I can't, I can't go there then. <laughs> uh, DJing, uh, check that out. Um, I'll put it all in the show notes below. Come, come hang out. Um, it's going to be a freedom event, uh, supporting artists and Alex Zek will be there. Uh, you guys just bumped in Imani and River are with us today. They're at the, uh, independent national conference right now in Austin. They just bumped into Alec who's speaking about, uh, I think governance or, uh, independent sovereignty and governance there, uh, with people like Derek bros. I know we're just mentioning Zach Bush is there, uh, Charles Eisenstein. So that's cool, man, that they're having, uh, you know, these alternative conferences that aren't the typical left, right. Uh, it's good that we're seeing this um, development, and I'd like to hear a little bit more about it from our guests today. Uh, before I jump into the quick intro, Bear, anything else? 
No, we're good. Let's let's go for it. Um, uh, like we we're saying before, this is a great uh, subject matter because it's what we're all about. It's about you know self sufficiency and you know living on the land. And um, like I think I read from uh, your site, it's not just about returning to the land, but it's knowing what the heck to do once you get there and how to live on the land. And I think that's uh, kind of what you guys are about, what we're about. So this would be a great conversation. I have a little uh, hempcrete uh, experience I'll share with you later too. Mm. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here with you too. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, the Alphabetic Permaculture Based Co-op is a two-fold mission. AV Gardens farm-based business was designed to provide a um, uh, I, I have a trouble with this word, Bear. A uh, replicable, is that right? A uh, self-funding prototype as our contribution. Very good. Replicable. Uh, self -funding Since you're from a parochial education, I knew you'd figure it out. <laughs> uh, self-funding prototype as our contribution to the imperative need for a decentralized culture built upon a foundation of conscious communities. Secondly, we understand the import of creating a global talent pool of experts in the fields of biodynamic agriculture, alternative building, and bioterrain medicine. In recent months, AlphaCast has entertained a steady stream of innovators from far off lands, including those industrious souls making change happen right here in the lower 50. On this AlphaCast, we continue this timely thread with renowned Bioarchitect Paul River Richardson and his partner in hemp visionary Imani Mamalushin, the creators of Haven Earth and the Haven Earth Trade School. Quote, our responsibility as designers, builders, and consumers is to make the changes we wish to see in the world. Paul is an international pioneer in the bioarchitecture space with an uncanny ability to translate his long career in the design and construction industry into regenerative building solutions. Imani is a mother educator and author who homeschooled her five home birth daughters in her, her organic cafe over a decade ago. Uh, together, they have created a comprehensive online course that takes you step by step through the process of building with hempcrete. Quote, at Haven Earth, you'll master the art of hemp building with beautiful ecological designs that inspire how we dwell on the planet and work towards localized agrarian models that support a cohesive move back to the land. Imani and Paul are freedom-loving pioneers who believe the best way to secure our sovereignty is through innovation, problem-solving, and up-leveling our skills that are required for the times ahead so that the old system becomes obsolete. And how ironic is we're using literally the oldest, uh, uh, one of the oldest um, plants to be uh, grown to do that. Uh, we are passionate about educating and inspiring people of all ages to build a future that honors nature's principles and serves the highest good of all. It's not about just returning to the land, but how we do it that matters. We do have show uh, in the show notes links to their website and also uh, the class they offer. Uh, we have a special offering there. So please check the show notes below. Uh, Bear Lando, take it away. Great. Well, hey, uh, you guys, thanks for being with us. This is awesome. Really looking forward to it. And uh, I know you guys heard an event there. So we're going to uh, kind of right jump into it. So we have plenty of time with you guys. Um, I had a little bit of um, uh, hempcrete experience, at least for two days. I, I have a friend here uh, over on the coast in Crescent City, and he built a, a large structure. So I went over there and uh, donated a few hours. So I got the hang of uh, how you work with that stuff. And it's awesome. And if you could see the finished product, uh, the building he made, it's a whole business center. It has uh, 
areas inside where they can do all their work, which is processing the food they grow and herbs and things and a whole little meeting and art center and everything. And it's really cool. And it's all made out of hemp. So I was kind of impressed. And it was really fun putting it together. You know, it's, it's great. It's sort of like playing with mud pies when you're a kid. So um, you guys are the experts. So if you could maybe start a little bit, you know, when I was doing your bio and everything, uh, I didn't see the thing that you sent in the mail. So I kind of put together some stuff. So I probably didn't do justice. And uh, so if you could maybe fill in any gaps uh, that I left there, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're at, how you got into all this, uh, either one of you find, and then we'll get right into the technology. Yeah, well, you did a great job there. That was pretty impressive. So mm -hmm. I think even better than what we would have written. But, um, you know, my my grammatical errors, notwithstanding. Yeah, everything was great. <laughs> But I, yeah, I the, the grammar I, police came out and uh, nailed me on a little thing. We're <laughs> kind of laughing about that before. So yeah. anyway, go ahead. River and I met like almost two years ago at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I was hosting a lot of conversations with Sasha Stone. We were doing a lot of live streams like this, really um, bringing some of the most relevant conversations of the time with the truth tellers that were out there speaking out. Um, so we met through that platform. We were having behind the scenes conversations as people were trying to navigate through an understanding what was really happening at this time. And as you know, I've kind of mentioned to Mike when we saw him um, at the Greater Reset, my book that I wrote 10 years ago was kind of a cathartic rant to put together, connect the dots in my own mind as a mother of children of how we arrived here and needing to understand that. And that kind of led me to connect with G. Edward Griffin and Del Bigtree and Sasha Stone, a lot of the people that we were, you know, bringing out the voices. And now we sort of all have kind of networked ourselves together. But that um, I think the significant thing with River and I is that we both had, you know, decades before kind of coinciding our meeting together a couple of years ago of doing this work and laying the foundation for what we're doing today. And I think River will speak to the fact that this hemp plant, we believe, is here for humanity at this particular time. And like you mentioned, Mike, it's it's been here forever. But I think there's a significance in that it's now being available for us to actually um, use this plant as a connector plant. So it brings us all together. And that's what we found, even though I came in it from more of the medicinal side, River was doing it more from the building side as a new innovative material to build healthy hemp homes with. Um, my experience in raising my children in my cafe was all about health and wellness. So it was a perfect solution to the answer that as a mom, I was looking for, like, how do we create these healthy homes without having to replace carpets and paint and put an air filtration system? So it was like, wow, we can build these houses with hemp and solve all of those problems. Um, and then the interesting thing is that it's what we've realized is, um, I think well, one of our good friends had mentioned, like said, gate um, hemp is a gateway crop you know, and it's allowing us to be in between the worlds. Like River and I have talked about, we're in between the timelines. We're Haven Earth is the bridge between the old the timeline and the new timeline we're trying to get to. So that that's kind of a short story of like how, how we kind of came together and the river obviously has his own. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and mine really coming from, you know, I, I came from UK, I, I studied architecture there and then I ended up in the U S married um and, and and worked in the in the regular world of construction for about a decade up in the northeast and and it was great experience um 
but I think and it was around 2008 that that time that I that I started getting woken up to to the reality of what was happening in the world and um and you know through 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 the solar minimum and all of these other things um so that kind of shifted me because at that time I was doing a lot in the the green movement I was making the companies I was working for doing um recycling programs chain of custody where we're getting materials all of this kind of stuff and um and then starting to get information about this alternative reality that was going on in, in the control grid that was coming down the wire. Um, and then that ended up kind of dissolving my marriage a lot because I, I woke up and, and it sh shifted me into a different way. And, and then 2011, I went overseas to work um, internationally building big hotels and, and, and this kind of thing, even, I guess, even further away from what I, what I wanted to do. Um, or what I thought my purpose was and you know I, I was working for elites essentially and um, building these big hotels very high-end projects in um, different countries Kazakhstan Azerbaijan Malaysia Asia I traveled over 30 countries in about a decade and um, working for some big architectural firms and project management companies and it was really great for me to understand how to get things done how to be able to execute on large scale projects, multi-million dollar projects. Um, but at the same time, I had this kind of internal conflict that I knew something was needing to change in the world. And, and um, how could I bring my skills? So in 2017, I ended up going to um, a workshop in Africa, um, in South Africa, at Alosha Linov's place at Bayaveda, who you had on the, not be, you know, recently. And um, what I saw there, was the empowerment that come from being at a workshop space um, that that I was even nervous to go to a workshop because I'd never really built anything before until that point. I'd designed it, I'd showed other people how to build it and then I'd go into this workshop. So I had this real experience of like, wow, we can actually make the changes we want in the world. And so I ended up quitting everything in my life at that time. And I went on this, you know, kind of hero's journey to find myself. Um, and that's where I came up kind of Haven Earth was like, the the, the 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 kind of seed of that that idea of creating this transition back to nature um and then you know and then end up traveling with the Losha. we went to russia looking at like some of the anastasia communities um and also in the us looking at what was working what wasn't working and how haven earth could be could be this bridge and how could we fill that void um to be able to get things done and, and one thing I noticed was even on these ex super expensive projects, the issue was getting skilled people. You know, you even doesn't matter how much money you have, if you don't have people with skills to be able to build it, then the money's worth nothing. So Haven Earth and the idea of creating a trade school um, was really the genesis of, of what we're doing now. And then, and then I found hemp up in the mountains in Switzerland at a hemp house I ended up staying at with a Jürgen Hempel, who was one of the kind of grandfathers of hemp in Europe. Um, that's actually his name yeah Hempel is his last name I don't know if he changed it at some point but um and and then you know for two weeks up in the mountains there was there was no heat on in the house uh and we we were in shorts and t-shirts the whole time and it and it felt like fresh air I had this kind of sea change from myself in terms of wow you know what this plant was really doing creating this kind of ecosystem inside the of a home that felt like outside um that it was insulative that it was breathing this was contrary to everything i'd learned in the regular world of construction which was all about sealing the buildings as tight as possible pumping in mechanical systems 
and basically just keeping all of them toxin VOCs and all of that inside of the space for us to enjoy um, for the rest and of our short-lived life. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, then I came back to the US in 2019 and, and ended, I knew I had to um, get back to the States um, for a number of reasons, but one of them was for my family and my kids who were in the US. And, um, but I, I knew something was coming as well. I think we all kind of had a sense something was changing. And so I built a hemp house in California in Mendocino County. Uh, oh, I have a few slides if you guys want to see the, I don't know if you've seen that one yet. But they, um, before that, I actually, I actually um, went to Turkey and built the first earth bag home in Turkey um, in 2018. And it, it became kind of a bit of a sensation in Turkey um, to the point where the, the local mayor actually came and rewrote the building code in the area so we could get a permit because it was on international news. It was on the cover of Vogue magazine in Turkey. Um, and then... Bear, can you see that? I think you guys... We can't... Yeah, you're looking good. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I came back to the States 2019 and... Um, after being in Switzerland, working with hemp ecosystems out there, and, and we decided to present um, a design for what we were calling the, the, the tiny hemp home, which wasn't so tiny. Um, but as you can see in the image there oh, and, and Discovery Channel um, kind of were following me at that time and wanted to film document one of the builds. And it just so happened it lined up with, with this project. And um, so it was kind of my launch back into the US under a under a different banner, which was really around hemp and around sovereignty and, and creating, you know, these pathways back to nature. The, um, the whole tiny home movement, it's, it's, it's an interesting movement. You know, I've followed it and I, I have tons of books, you know, with builders that are doing that. And, uh, you know, I think it's important for us to distinguish between the tiny home movement and stack and pack <laughs> because right. um what i'm looking at with your structures they're not only organic and good for your health but extremely elegant uh you know what you lack in space you just gain so much more in other ways and uh you know we have some building projects here where we're making smaller structures to accommodate living business and everything and it's just so much more uh of an intelligent design with just when you have to from the start plan on not wasting space and have everything functional and then you go back you know my dad built our house that i grew up in a long time ago and uh back then you know it wasn't what you guys are describing but there wasn't as many toxic materials and also it was more of a craftsman style where everything mm. was kind of built in and and right. artistic and and so um you know the last comment and, and then uh, that's all i want to say is it that we have a, a real scarcity of tradespeople? Uh, you know, just to, if you want to have anything from electrical to carpentry or whatever, there's just not many people. And I really believe the next um, uh, wave of wealth uh, will be created through the trades, you know, the people that are now refining their way back to the trades. But I think a lot of what has turned people off of the trades, it's just become this rote. Uh, formula of you know just go down to the to the Home Depot and you know come back with a load of drywall and and horrible insulation and all these kinds right. of things. But you know, what you guys are doing is really stimulating the 
the imaginations, uh, you know, of of young people, I think, to get back in. And of course, rather than go through what we would think of as orthodox channels to just learn the same old thing, uh, your school is, you know, really setting the pace for, I think, where we need to go and where we are going. So please continue. So there's a couple of things that you just mentioned there. So, you know, one, I came from a family of bricklayers. And so the idea of building okay. our own homes for me is kind of inherently natural, but I do think River's skill, and I can show some of the master plans because we've been traveling to hundreds of cities, thousands of miles since we met, settled just recently in Texas and looking to um, secure the first land for the first physical trade school in Tennessee. Um, but one of the things that is his gift is really having this elegant style. And he really talks a little bit negative about tiny homes in the sense that why should we be confined space? However, what you said is really important, the way we maximize space and really can leverage that in a way that is um, is beneficial and doesn't make us feel like we're somehow uh, being insignificant, but it's more in this relationship with nature, right? Like how do we build homes that actually work with nature? And I think that because hemp is, is a breathing home system, it doesn't give us this constricted feeling it actually gives us an expanded feeling and then river often does designs that have nature like it makes you feel like you're connected to nature so i can show some of this and then the the last mm -hmm. thing i'll just say and then hand it to river is about this workforce because you know coming from europe you've often said that um they have a different idea about the trades in europe than we do here in the states like especially germany yeah yeah so i'll pull up pictures and you can talk to that yeah exactly i it was really interesting being on these big projects and and seeing um how you know these building hotels especially you know three to eight year projects a, a long time um that mostly was very entropic and a lot of a lot of health issues came up for people working on the building sites um a lot of people left a lot of companies folded and it was it was really kind of distort distressful in a way and I was really on the client side a lot of the time so in some ways I kind of felt like part of that and um you know we were we were bringing in workers from all over the world to to try and fill the gap and I was like why aren't they training their local why aren't they training their country people why aren't why isn't that happening why isn't there a focus on that because that would transform a lot of this um and then, you know, seeing these lead gold certified projects and these energy star rated and all of these buzzwords um, actually just are just a big scam, basically, um, to make people feel good and make uh, people with money feel like they're doing something for the environment. Um, as we all know, that's really not the case. Um, so the true that I think the true regenerative architecture in, is, is really on a localized level. Um, and I think that's really what drew me to him was that, you know, this is something that we can grow. And um, this is something that doesn't need to be in this huge manufacturing kind of way. And, um, so, you know, the, and, the, and the tiny home movement for me also feels like another another kind of contortion of, of um, getting back to the land and having a smaller footprint, let's say. And really, it seems to be directed towards a more, you know, kind of Chinese model in a way that that we really shouldn't have any ownership and that we should just, you know, have a minimal space with just a bed and, and these kind of things. Although I am building a hemp tiny home right now. And yeah. it serves a purpose. And as long as we're aware of that purpose um, and it doesn't take over, 
because what's happened in the regular building industry is you know um kind of contorted too and and and, and like you said bear that's why everyone's going to home depot and getting all these building materials because it all fits in with the whole narrative of the building industry and the permitting and the regulations so this is one of the designs for um, property in Texas, and it's really kind of what we call more of an agrocentric model so that people are, the focus is around the regenerative agriculture and food sovereignty, growing our own food. Um, just to kind of give an idea of this when we talk about how we return to the land. So our focus is around natural building, but we're bringing in and collaborating with a lot of people that have the permaculture backgrounds and I think rivers master plans have this lean towards that tendency because we go and we're on the land, listening to the land. What is the land, you know, what would work best with right. the land? And, and that's really one of his, I think, special gifts. And so it, it leads us to some of the designs just so you can get an idea. These are his hand drawings that um, kind of give that elegant style that you mentioned, Bear. Sort oh, of beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, earthship slash meets hemp home kind of thing. This is a, one of the ones we were just working on for, we did a presentation at Texas A&M. This is sort of the future of the biohouse modular home system. So just to give a history for people who are just maybe hearing about hemp for the first time, you know, when he built that house for the Discovery Channel a couple of years ago, the hemp came in from Europe and so did all the binders. So just in the last few years, the hemp industry, so we're talking about industrial hemp and we just came back from the big hemp expo last week. Hemp is now being grown in the States. It's now being processed. Processors are coming online. And the big thing now, of course, is everybody's racing to create the structural hemp block or panel system. And that's what we've been waiting for. But knowing that we had to educate people first, why would you want to live in a healthy hemp home? Well, obviously, mold is a huge issue for so many people people, including myself, um, that are dealing with all of the toxins in the environment. So for the issue of molds, being fire resistant, pest resistant, um, being that breathing system that we talked about, and maybe you can kind of describe that because people like, well, why can't I build a cob house or aircrete or even people who are returning to the land, returning in, in maybe a temporary structure that is actually toxic and and in contrast to what they're trying to do and why they're returning to the land so it's it's been an education process like when i opened my organic cafe 20 years ago nobody knew what organic foods or genetically modified foods were right so we know that there's like that period of time where we have to educate so that we can be conscious consumers and actually understand what's happening not a band-aid solution where we're greenwashing which is the danger of what's going to happen with the hemp industry if people don't become educated, it can be greenwashed into a carbon credit agenda, which is not the revolutionary aspect of what this material, this plant is here to do for us. So we're really passionate about keeping it in the hands of the people. And to do that, we have to educate people about why you would want to build with hemp. So it, it's it's kind of you know simple, but at the same time, as you all know, it takes time to to make those changes in how we perceive things. So, you know, there's going to be communities like this one that they're looking to. Is this a company that's trying to bring in a new energy system that are going to do developments with hemp? All of that's going to come down the line. But how do we keep it and make it accessible to those of us that, that are, you know, freedom loving people that want to return to the land and be able to to have one of these healthy hemp homes. And that's where we feel like creating these biohouse modular hemp homes that can go up easily and be either DIY or a team of people that we help train to, to be able to make this possible. 
Yeah, I think it you know, comes down um, to free. I was just going to say, Barrett, it comes down to freedom as always. And I do, I know people get triggered by the tiny home idea with the scarcity pushing kind of inversion of freedom and like the need to, you know, sequester carbon and um, make sure our, our, our foot you know, stamp on the, on the land is um, remediated to be as tiny as possible. But really, as Bear was saying, when you have the freedom and you, you have the, the consciousness to understand how we connect to the land, um, it's not about ownership. It's about taking care of the land and then having the freedom to choose how you want to engage with that. And if you're truly conscious and also you have the, you have the (laughs) added benefit of not having to deal with uh, building permits so much you can do really amazing things with tiny with tiny structures and how you can create awesome sort of um, compatibility with nature. But I will say that one you were showing right there, Imani, did look like a stack and pack kind of in there. I was personally yeah. like, oh. Um, yeah. But the one thing I'll say about hemp, because people are asking in the chat right now, like why, why hemp versus like sorghum or even um, uh, uh, sugar uh, cane or aircrete, et cetera. And I will say, we're talking about total regeneration and also total sovereignty. The the hemp plant gives you everything, gives you nutrition. It gives you uh, uh, soil remediation. It is extremely easy to grow. Uh, and it's, it's like one of the strongest fibers. Uh, there's a reason why uh, Thomas Jefferson said hemp. I think he said hemp is the first necessity uh, to the wealth and protection of the country. He knew that back then because it really is one of the most amazing plants in the world. Uh, can't stress then, that enough. Yeah. And in the, um, in the early days of this country, of course, it was mandatory that everybody, uh, killed a certain portion of their land for hemp because they realized, uh, a, a growing nation was really dependent on it. The only point I was going to make, and Mike, you kind of did it for me, but, um, I think the thing we have to shift in this, what you folks are up to here is to go from the scarcity model because the whole greening thing is built on scarcity and this whole consciousness that there's not enough. However, you know, when you live like we do here and you grow things and they just uh, magnificently supply you with everything you need, way more than you need uh, beyond abundance. And you're talking about a hemp that grows literally like a weed. Uh, you know, it's renewable. And if you're aware of good tilling techniques, then you're not going to burn out the soil in the process, which is one unfortunate thing that happened with the cannabis industry. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this, but I didn't want to interrupt your flow with the building. But uh, what do you see as far as the hemp growers? Um, how can we maybe work with them so it just doesn't turn into like the the cannabis thing where it just became a big greed fest yeah i and i'll i'll come back to that bear because that okay. is really that is extremely relevant i think right now um but mm-hmm. to your point mike i think what you know what i experienced um doing the natural building workshop in africa we were we were building with acrid and um and super adobe and all both amazing techniques and recommend everybody learn them. Great, great building techniques. But as we were building, we were, it was really interesting because we were all saying, we should do this with hemp. And we none of us had even really understood what it was. So there was this interest in that, that there was this vibe at the workshop that, that somehow hemp was on the horizon. And, um, and it was, you know, kind of ironic that it was one of the guys at that workshop that ended up bringing me to Switzerland to, to have my first hemp home experience 
Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's when it's top down, we're dictated to, um, just like the hemp plant was eradicated from our culture and so many other things is that's when we understand that it's obviously good for us um, when we're not allowed to do it. Um, so obviously it was a, I, I always joke, it was a class one, right? Drug or whatever, because it's so dangerous because it allows us to grow our own food and make our own plants exactly. and make our own clothes. <laughs> right. And, and our, True. and our friend, uh, Evan Folds always said, he's an agronomist said that, you know, hemp's a gateway back to, to our food, because actually the way we look at hemp and the way we test it is about how pure it is. Um, and, and we don't do that with our food generally. So it was just really interesting. And there's, there's a frequency with hemp um, that I think is, we've said, there's a reason that it's come back at this time because we're ready to receive it. And it's, it's, it's a tool for us to move into, into freedom and, and decentralized systems. And I think that's what's, that's what's happening in the hemp space in the US right now is that the, the processing is coming online um different this was the this was kind of the stop gap it was like you can't grow hemp if there's no way to process it into anything useful um so they they're relying on basically an old old system of doing things which is a mill which is typically derived from a cotton mill which goes through a process of decortication and and it was always about getting the fiber the fiber was the gold with the hemp industry um, and the biomass which we used in the buildings was was just a waste was a waste product um, so now th there's multiple things that are coming out of of these processing facilities including the dust for plastics and stuff like that there's the fiber obviously which is good for textiles and and ropes and and all kinds of things and panels and things like that and then you've got the hemp herd which is the the, the from the inner part of the stalk and um, so this decortication process like a mill it separates the fiber from that that inner woody core of the plant and and that woody core of the plant is kind of spongy and it's very porous it's hygroscopic and hydrophilic so it, it's able in the wall system when you mix it with lime and pozzolans um, to create this kind of roman type cement it has this ability to hold moisture so they say a hemp wall can hold three times its weight in moisture um, and that is, we're trying to get a, a house permitted in California right now in, um, in Santa Clara, in San Jose. And it's been eight, nearly 18 months just to try and get a permit for a small addition um, because they don't understand. They want us to put a waterproof membrane on the outside of the house. I'm like, that's going to defeat the whole point. The whole point is that it deals with moisture. It, it's able to take the vapor in the air inside the space and, and kind of hold it in the wall and release it back out when the when the conditions are right for it um whereas our regular construction system is all about sealing it as tight as possible so nothing can get in which is great in theory but as soon as inevitably some water always gets in some vapor gets in and so then in your wall cavities you have the growth you know a buildup of mold um, and then because it's a sealed box how do you how do you deal with that how do you clean that air inside so people put HEPA filters in and all kinds of stuff um, but this sick building syndrome is an epidemic, um, and especially now that we're getting forced to spend more time indoors in general and all of these kind of things, I think it's more important than ever that we shift this narrative around how we think about a home. Because I think coming from my background of working with high-end clients, 
um, and making things look really beautiful. Um, at the end of the day, what's behind the, the panel and behind the thing is still the same moldy environment um, that's creating this unhealthy, unstable type of living environment. So with hemp, I think it's, you know, as you know, it's, it's doing something for our, our understanding of food and of health. But also for me as an architect, it's allowing us to open up that dis discussion about how we look at our homes and um, not just uh, three bedrooms, two bathrooms and a, and a study, but how do I create a healthy environment for my for, for living? Um, and, you know, and maybe you. Can speak uh, well, in that last plan is kind of showing where it's going, Mike, because it's coming online like it's it, it's going to become mainstream. And so it's really. Um, about us having an understanding of of why we want people um, who are looking to get away from that model to incorporate this inc incredible material into building. And it is, as River mentioned before, it's the frequency of it that differentiates, yes. I think, from like a cob house, where it's more that earth. That What we've been told from Vedic friends of ours is that the, the frequency of the cob actually reduces, whereas hemp increases. And, you know, if you're in that probably when you were in that house too, Bear, like it has more of a cozy feeling, not like this kind of cold chill kind of feeling where you get in some of these um, structures that are, are earth-based. And I know that I wasn't there in, in South Africa, but the air creed, again, we've heard and you experienced that people get sick in the process of building those homes because it's still concrete, right? And these are the particles that are in the air and you're, you're literally aerating uh, concrete to create these really cool looking domes because we get that a lot in addition to like, how much does it cost? But um, so that I think those are really good points to bring people back and also what's what's available. The industry is trying to move away from concrete and those big industries, which they're massive, are pivoting to these new materials. And in essence, we'll be hijacking it just like everything else that we know yeah. um, that happens. So again, keeping it into the power of the people moment here, with hemp, not just to regenerate the soil, but to actually build ourselves healthy homes. And with that, I think River said many times, this is the first time as an architect, I've gone to the farm to get the materials to build the house. We're working with farmers, we're working with the processors, we're working with other builders, because we know that we have to work with all of them to make this movement happen. Like we can't build the homes if we don't have the materials. And we're not even necessarily building the homes we're designing them and teaching people how to build them. And that's why, you know, why we started the trade school is to have someone send someone in your community or your, your contractor and open their eyes that there's a different way to build your home. We have had several and, people send their people to our trainings that they can go back and, and our online course is designed for that. We've captured content from the last two builds. We'll be doing the next build and we're walking them through and doing live Q and A. So if you have, if you're getting ready to, do add an addition or build a home, have your contractor get educated on this new material because it's it's the mm. similar framing. You're just putting the a different material in the infill of the walls because a lot of people don't understand how are you building a hemp house? You're still right now, even though you know the timber frame and maybe the blocks will pop in there, but you're basically replacing the you know insulation. I'm getting good at this, the drywall and and the, the labor, plywood, all of that stuff. House wrap, the glues, the so all of these things, yeah, you know, that that make up the wall assembly. Um, well, I, I, I think the most important point you make is that um, you know you talk about frequency. You know, my approach to plant medicine has always been through resonance. 
I don't buy the concept that there's little molecules that, you know, override your molecules. And then, you know, that's how plants work. No, it's about uh, compatible resonance. And then we find the resonance that we need to create any effect or balancing effect that we need if we're trying to use that to, you know, heal our bodies. And in the case of hemp, you know, you have a, a living element, you know, sure it has its roots in the ground, but it's reaching up to the heavens. And when I look at a particular herb, I look at its temperament, its characteristics as far as how it grows. And then it tells you more about its personality and why it might be good for particular bodies in certain situations. So with the hemp plant also, uh, not only, uh, you know, can we, I mean, what a wonderful concept to live within the residence of that living element. And even when you fixate it, you know, with other different agents to make it into, you know, how it's going to work with walls, um, that resonance still stays there. And, uh, you know, it still imparts, uh, you know, that to whoever's in there. And it, with hemp, I think it's even more remarkable as a plant because it shares the same uh, endocrine hormonal functions or endocannabinoid, uh, you know, systems uh, that we have in humans. So obviously there's a real symbiotic relationship between humans and the hemp plant. And um, yeah, I just wanted to make that point because I think uh, that that's so critical for people to just understand that what they're surrounded with is actually bombarding them with waveforms. And, you know, in this case, you're picking waveforms that are going to create health and everything that we want in our life. I was just going to say too, the word canvas comes from cannabis. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it is the the canvas that we can work on all aspects of the art of our life. Right. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's, there's something about this plant that, that really speaks to freedom and, and I think really speaks to the future of humanity actually. Um, and, and we see it with the young ones, especially, um, you know, 12, 13, 14, we see these, these kids who look at the world right now and, and wonder what this is um, and, and where their place is in it and, and you know and, and what what can they do to to shift the world but they're getting kind of well they feel they're getting hopelessness right and they're getting co-opted when you talk into, about hemp they get very excited yeah they, it's almost like yeah you know the educational system and and, and everything they hear is about you know all their parents have destroyed the planet and it's climate crisis it's all crisis crisis um and i think this this plan is really like that olive branch that um, people can get excited about because because it's revolutionary in so many ways. Even though it's not not rocket science, you know, it's really bringing us back to a relationship with agriculture that is inspiring people and inspiring the young ones to think, "Wow, I could, you know, I could design a rocket ship that's made with hemp." Like these kind of thoughts can come into their imagination because it is so versatile. And, you know, especially us being in this industry and, you know, kind of circling around people who are leaders in the field to really see that there, there is a lot of collaboration going on and innovation and, and, a, and, and a kind of a healthy kind of competition, I think. Um, but what we're really aware of is that this could change very rapidly um, with this carbon agenda, with this, um, you know, carbon neutral and all of these type of things. And um, we, we do know that there's some government type of stuff coming down the, the pipeline based on nature-based materials, nature-based solutions. They're kind of starting to coin this type of terminology. Um, and I think it's a really about 
they want to funnel money into this industry so they can control it one and and secondly take away the real benefit of it which is about health and it's about decentralization and put this into another agenda which is about saving the planet um which doesn't need saving as we know um and you know and what's happening is the, the competition that's starting to shift into this space where they they're not focused on the health benefits as they're much focusing on carbon credits they're focusing on the carbon credits and so you know, I was speaking at a panel at, at this uh, HEM conference in Colorado last week, and everybody's talking about the carbon credits. And I said, this is the wrong pathway for this plant. This is not what it is about, you know, and we need to keep our focus on that this is about decentralization and this is about the health of people's homes. Um, because if we get, because they think that, oh no, but there's a climate crisis, it doesn't really matter. We just need to get it. It's better than the other option. We, we, we it's keep not support. cement. It doesn't matter if it's breathing, you know, when you're right. making, adding all these additives to these blocks and panels. So, so we really feel well, of creating a model um, of not only building with hemp, but getting back to the land in terms of um, using the plant and the education around this and, and, and all of this interest in it as a way to create a type of community model um, that that has a residential component, that has an economic component and an educational component. And with, with hemp is kind of the anchor and, and that kind of connecting connecting element that, that kind of brings people together. Because, you know, I think the idea of just, just going back to the land and growing food is great, but I think we need purpose. We're like purposeful people. And without a real purpose and a real a positive outlook for the future it's hard to go out there and plant food every day and um, because what's the point so we're really trying to create a really positive vision of the future where actually we're creating a parallel society we're literally we're holding the line um for this plant for this opportunity right now to move into a new paradigm which is around resonance around frequency around all these amazing things we're talking about and um, because it's it's allowing for this opportunity and and mm -hmm. we kind of feel like you know it's like we're we're yeah. free fighters for for agriculture for for the building and industry. Is our cover crop yeah yeah it's a great and story, you know uh, another <laughs> wonderful side effect is that it is um producing a whole freedom movement not just uh for the fact that you know returning to the land but like you already mentioned you run into the permitting uh you know the code inspectors and all that and um, so a lot of people are really delving into, well, why do these people have the authority to tell us, you know, what we can build? And the fact is, is they don't, but by contract through our warranty deeds, that's what, you know, we grant them the authority to come harass us. You know, I'm mm -hmm. doing a uh, vermiculture outhouse here on a property here, you know, in uh, next week. And, uh, you know, if I went and asked for a permit or something, <laughs> forget about it even though it would be the the most intelligent design for you know waste management imaginable so what a lot of us have learned is that wow why don't we just you know rather than fight with them rather than comply because you know that's not freedom and freedom is health you can't separate the two uh on the other hand let's get rid of those deeds you know where did they come from so people are really getting knowledgeable well let's revert back to our original title then you don't have to deal with permitting agencies taxation property tax all that sort of thing so uh to build a parallel society of course i think 
you know, it's not good enough to say, well, those guys, uh, you know, are making us do something. So we rebel. It's just like, no, they don't have the authority in the first place. So we have the responsibility to learn how they do it, do it, uh, learn how not to comply without being combative and then doing whatever the heck we want. Otherwise, it's just going to grow into another monopolized industry where we'll have to go to Home Depot to get our hempcrete that'll probably be laden with all sorts of crap that we don't mm -hmm. want in there in the first place. Exactly. And that's really, you know, as much as we talk about teaching people how to build with hempcrete, we're also teaching people about the new infrastructures that we're building out this new society with. So that's why we set up Haven Earth as a private membership association. And as we set up our, um, you know, we have a land checklist. We've looked at, worked with many land stewards. And that's one of the thing in our models is working with an existing land steward who actually knows the land. But there's certain things, the criteria that we've had um, to establish the school. And one of those is being in an agricultural area where we're not um, hiding out, but we're being part of it and being an asset to the community and working in partnership with them and in a place where we are, are wanted. And also there's no zoning or requirements because we're setting it up in a trust. So we're not participating consciously in that system. So the same, same time we're teaching people that process who are looking to return to the land how to do it in a way that isn't going to be duplicating or you know what we're trying to get get away from and i think that that's a really important piece bear that we we have to do it in a different way a lot of people are returning to the land and and think they might be doing it differently but but in a sense they're going to be maybe in the same place so those that um, being in the realm of the private versus the public is absolutely critical for us. Um, and then being in an, an agricultural area where we can use in, uh, already existing infrastructure, a lot of these agricultural areas have been abandoned. Um, people are returning to them. And then obviously things like water and what are the infrastructures, not just a piece of raw land to say, hey, we got land. But what is that land? Is that land a piece of land that is wanting to be inhabited and, and can it be working harmoniously with what we're trying to do, setting up the school? And then I think the other unique, unique thing about us is that we're going to be teaching people to build houses. So we'll be building the residential area as we're training people. Right. And then we would hopefully be able to create this as a duplicatable, scalable model that would inspire others to do it in, in their area so that we can show people like you guys are doing what's possible. Right, and I, I oh, yeah. also add to that, it's like, you know, you can't blame people in a lot of ways because the education has been really hard to come by of alternatives. So, you know, somebody buys a piece of land, they base it on, you know, uh, the real estate agent who tells them it's a good, a good piece of land and et cetera, it's a clean title and, and all of these things. And then they get on the land and they find a local contractor and that local contractor is used to doing things in a certain way. So he's only going to recommend certain things to them. And, and so they kind of, without really realizing it, they're just perpetuating the old model. They're going to get their permits. They're going to do all these things. And, um, but interestingly, there's a, uh, the land that we're, we're in close um, relationship with right now in Tennessee. We're very excited about, um, starting to build the school out, a local farmer there. He's a generational farmer, um, and um, he he basically has gone to the kind of Joel Salatin farming method and raising animals. And he's saying From his family's commercial chicken operation is completely transitioned. Right, and I think he he was saying that all the old farmers are kind of 
kind of dying out. They're getting too old to really farm anyway. Um, and the newer ones that are coming in he, to the area, he's saying is they all want to do it differently. They're getting smaller pieces of land, 10, 15, 20 acres, and they really want to do regenerative agriculture. He's saying there's nobody coming and asking him about the old methods. I mean, you know, the monoculture methods and that that stuff. They all really want to do the regenerative. So I think everybody's there's a lot of people are wanting it. And I think we just need to create the models right now to give people that them tools and, and all of that. And the online, I think, is really important. And um, that's obviously something you're doing, too, because a lot of people don't have that luxury of leaving their family or their jobs or whatever to go and do workshops. But um, well, and if they have building skills and I can actually show you guys that. So if people want to go to that, but I know you're going to put the links in there. But one of the things like even river building, you know, he said he was a designer, not a builder. But um, when we were looking, when he's looking online to find how to do something, there's literally nothing on how to build with hemp out there. Um, there might be a few videos of like people who build yeah. hemp structures, but hemp builders and, are not the most social media savvy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, that's at havenearthtreeschool.net. But we just we're basically creating the live aspect so people can have a Q&A. So it's like you're getting the videos and we're continuing to add content to that. But it's like how to put in a window with hemp, not just like how to hemp. That's what we teach in like a two-week workshop, but like how do you actually finish a hemp house? Right. Um, those are the kinds of things that really are quite difficult, if especially if you don't have any skills. So the exciting thing for us is that people have gone through our training and people are in our training that are actually building hemp houses. And that's for us, the real success stories is like, can we create something that's going to allow people to actually do it, you know? And so I think um, that's making the education for me, I'm an educator at heart. And that's the thing that we share is like, we've got to give people the access to the resources and the knowledge um, to make that happen. I think another skill set involves learning how to um, repurpose things. You know, we we have a number of new buildings here and they're very aesthetic and nice and feel good. Uh, but then when it comes to windows and doors and, and things like that, it's all repurposed uh, mm. stuff that, you know, that we finish, make it look really custom and then throw it in there. So we don't just go down to the home improvement, you know, and and buy new stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that's really catching on too. There's actually like homes for habitat, places like that, where you can actually go yeah. into a place and buy old stuff. So um, yeah, a good combination, I think. I can't wait to come visit and see what you guys have done in person. Yeah, good. Well, Maybe you can stay a couple of weeks extra and throw up a building or two. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got a hemp house on there somewhere, right? Well, that's, that's <laughs> right. We're actually working on the like a modular system um, I, I worked in that industry, modular homes, and we we shipped homes around a company up in Massachusetts. We shipped homes around the world, um, and they were fairly high end homes that that could be put up. I also worked in timber frame home companies, and they they're also pretty fast fast to build because you can you know you essentially build it in a factory type of setting in a in a controlled environment, um, and then when it gets to the building site, it can be put together much faster. And I think the industry right now is shifting towards that in general. You've got the boxables and you've got these other things and the tiny homes and all of that. Um, but I think what's happening because <clears throat> it's meeting a need and that need is people want to put up and uh, there's a more need for housing. And then there's a need for there's a lot more people buying land and looking to build. Um, and they're finding that they can't find contractors to build. 
they've got you know they don't want to take on projects they've got too much work there's not enough people like you said Bay, who are learning the trades anymore because it's not an enticing industry and so you know how do we create a, a, a modular home system building system that can go up on the land in a, in a much more time efficient way which time is money on the building site and you know projects get delayed because of weather because of materials because of all these different things as you know um, and then, a, you know, something you thought was going to take six months, taken 18 months and, and you're twice the budget. It's crazy. You know, construction is, is can be really derail a lot of things and a lot of plans. Um, so we're focused on that. And, and it feels like that's really possible to create a decentralized kind of um, system and um, where you have a processing facility in an agricultural area that's processing the materials and there are a bunch of different products, essentially. And um, you have a a facility that can build panels with hemp um, or blocks or a combination. Um, you have, you know, the, the the agronomic side of it. You have the the, the food side of it. And, and really, you can support a, a decentralized economy through agriculture in this way. Um, and and I, I think this this is, could be like a really big change for how we look at getting back to the land in, in these ways. And, and <clears throat> excuse me. You know, I think the school, the educational side of it is that is that channel to bring new innovators um, to that space. And because I think that's that's what's going to shape a positive future is like bringing people into a place which feels really open for education and innovation. Um, and obviously by the trade school, but we're also launching our other business called Biohouse, and um, which for me was I, I got inspired with that name Biohouse from Bauhaus. Um, which is, you know, is, a, is the German, uh, it was Walter Gropius set up this uh, Bauhaus in Germany. And it was basically, he, it was interesting timing because it was in 1919 that he first started the Bauhaus movement. It was about um, bringing architecture and the arts to, to the people. Because before then, only people who ever worked with an architect or a designer were the elite, were the, were the aristocracy. And so he wanted as an architect to bring all of the sculptors and the painters and the artists and the architects together in this movement called the Bauhaus to, to create art and to create architecture for the people. And ironically, um, they started during the, 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 the Spanish flu um, at that time and people were wearing masks. And then, you know, they got shut down by, by the Nazis. Essentially, they kept moving their facility, their educational place, and they eventually got shut down. And I think it was like 34 or something like that, um, because they were bringing something that was really about freedom. Uh, and um, so, so we're kind of essentially doing a similar thing is, you know, really like, how do we use this plant to, to create a power to the people moment where where we as artists and creators and innovators can create a, a new parallel kind of model that can work in a decentralized way um so we're excited about that there's a lot of innovation in the space right now about about modular systems but um we're really focused on doing it and there's we were just one of our brand partners is there in mexico and and hemp isn't as accessible because it's not in every other part of the world right now it's coming online in the states and they're using the agave plant and coconut shells and different things in combination. So there is, you know, that that space for things to to not just be hemp. Um, but I think it's important what you had mentioned earlier, Bear, like the transition from like what a CBD hemp market to industrial hemp because they're two different plants. 
and people were growing way more of the CBD hemp that we needed to extract that little amount of oil. Whereas the industrial hemp, we need so many farmers growing thousands of acres to be able to create all the products that are coming in the, the new plastics and the um, homes and the fibers. So we can't have enough of farmers growing the industrial hemp and getting farmers who were burnt in that other industry to understand that this is different and the quantity that we need is massive. It's just, it's like, you know, and that's also simultaneously regenerating the soil and moving a lot of these monocrop farmers that are using Monsanto crops to heal their their soils, which is really great because they weren't doing it because of that, because they were doing it, you know, for the bottom line, but but it's it's achieving multiple things at the same time. So it's there's so many beautiful overlays of how this mm. plant is is healing on so many different levels. Um, but I think making that distinction for between people that maybe are familiar with it being medicinal, um, like you said, when it was really, really growing. And becoming popular to like where we where it's going right a now. Lot the, the trajectory. A lot of the farmers are actually really reluctant in a way to grow hemp industrial hemp because they are so nervous around the CBD thing and what happened. A lot of farmers got burned with promises of making you know a ton of money growing CBD and then they basically lost. They just had fields of biomass they couldn't do anything with. We saw that up here in southern Oregon for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I wish we could come up with a better word than industrial hemp because industrial automatically kind of uh, right. alludes to big capitalistic monocropping market places, you know, I, I, and we talk about decentralization. I was saying in the chat here, I mean, just imagine like with all the blighted urban centers, if those were just uh, completely canvassed with hemp gardens and hemp uh, you know, bioremediation um, allotments that were put out by the cities or whatnot. And not only now do you have uh, ability for people to have a job growing this amazing plant, but then all the use cases of it. So I'm wondering if it's like a pragmatic hemp or some other term that, because mm -hmm. I know we want to differentiate from the right. CBD, which is right. like- It's hard because so we many feel people the same, have stigmas around hemp and we have to differentiate so people know that we're talking about most people don't know that there's these different strains and different uses for the plant because actually Bear was thinking about when you're saying how it's grown. So this, this hemp that we're talking about grows really tall, like bamboo, not mm -hmm. short, bushy buds, but it's um, massive. More like a sativa. It's, I mean, the, you know, it's yeah, tall pack it and close, close together. together. So it has to be grown in a so, certain way that it has long fibers. So it's, it is a different plant, but how to distinguish that? Because yeah. most people are still associating everything with CBD. We're def well, I mean, definitely so, love to find a way to, to change that narrative around industrial, because I think it does put it on a trajectory towards something um, that maybe we're not interested in. Um, so, you know, there's farmers in, in Kansas who we went to visit and they, they, they were more monoculture growers, Monsanto corn and all of that. And they wanted to get out of that, but they kind of were trapped. I think a lot of the farmers are trapped by, you know, being able to ensure their crop and all of these other things. Um, so they started and they kind of teamed up and they, and they, they set up a processing facility for a co-op for, for hemp, uh, industrial hemp processing, let's call it. I don't know how else to call it, but, um, and and so within you know a hundred mile radius of that facility now they can pitch, pitch to the farmers okay you can start growing some hemp and and they're showing them a model of how that could actually benefit them financially as well as and growing in help, between crops help to heal their soil as a cover crop um, and that's working 
definitely. Because they're starting so, to see that they're want- making profit from the hemp without losing the security of what they're used to. Can you elaborate any more on how it heals the soil? Um, because I've never grown it, so I don't know what attributes, you know, it adds to the soil, or are you just more alluding to the fact that it would take over some of the uh, other kind of mm. less healthy crops that are being grown? Well, I think it, um, just like in the, in the, in the walls, um, it's a, it's a very porous, um material in the stalk so it's you know it, and it has a very deep root system so it's able to get down into the into deep into the soil and pull um nutrients up out of the soil um also toxins out of the soil i heard some some information that they'd done some tests in like chernobyl with hemp crop to see how it could remediate the soil and was it within three cycles of growing they had they were testing pure it was testing untainted wow. after three. So it was drawing it out. What what they were able to do with that hemp afterwards, the, the ones that were toxic, I'm not sure exactly. Maybe they had and, to. And actually, I think you didn't hear, but when, at the um, NOCO conference, there was a lot more research that's just come out on how quickly the soils are transitioning, where they're pulling out the heavy metals and the toxins. I don't have the exact numbers, but I probably could get my hands on. I, I think, um, I don't know if Tim Fine was talking about, but there was someone that was specifically citing all of the new research that's coming out. And, and again, part of that is probably because hemp wasn't legalized to grow. Now that it is, um, the research is going to be more and more. Yeah. We're only, <clears throat> we're only four or five, four years in since the farm bill of 2018. So this right. is like so new. And I know it aerates the soil. Um, and then it, I know it has uh, the bioremediation of pulling heavy metals out. Um, and then also, I know just in the last two years, those farms you're talking about, the monocroppers that are introducing them as cover crops are finding that their yields are increasing yep. because of the soil health increasing. So it's a magical plant. It's like, it's just so much like when we go back to decentralization. I mean, just imagine having, um, you know, each homestead having a certain allotment of hemp where, because we talk about regenerate regeneration all the time. It's like the biggest buzzword. And, you know, I, I find it ironic that they're talking about carbon credits when literally it's the hydrocarbon industry, the Rockefeller, the Hearst that took out the carbohydrate paradigm. That was, hemp hemp was ford was using hemp to fuel cars like it was you know and then the the big deal was of course we lost hemp because it was taking slave if you know the history of hemp it's really fascinating like it was 85 percent of paper was all hemp based up into the 1800s now as you were guys were alluding to it takes a lot of work to process hemp and so they were using slave labor in the united states and the colonies uh, uh, up until the Civil War, and then when we lost, when, when the slaves were finally emancipated, it was a, a lot costlier. And then you had the cotton gin, so cotton kind of took over. But then in 1913 or ra- around then, the um, what was it called? The decorder, decorticator was invented. I forgot the gentleman's name. And now hemp came back, but already now we had a massive industry built around uh, paper, built around. Um, of course, now Rockefeller and the oil industry. And so they had the reefer well, madness. Hearst you know, was, uh, yeah, Hearst. the Hearst newspaper industry was very prominent in that whole movement as well. Exactly. Yep. So they they had the uh, the act in 1937, I believe, which was the tax 
can't the hemp tax act or whatever that made it basically illegal. So that's sort of the history. But how ironic is it that it was literally the hydrocarbon petrochemical carbon uh, company that took it out. And now they're trying to say it's carbon credits for mm-hmm. hemp. They're inverting it and doing the same trickery again. So if we mm-hmm. want to really be regenerative, we have to have regenerative economic systems, right? We can't be on these scarcity tokenized systems where it's all centrally controlled. Uh, And so that drives me crazy. Like you guys were saying, when you go to these very lefty, liberal minded, well, well, not liberal, but they call themselves liberal. You know what I mean? Mindsets in the hemp world and the permaculture world, and they're being sort of blindsided by this carbon credit thing which drives me crazy so like if we could have that independence but through decentralized marketplaces built around hemp because hemp at one point in the colonies was actually used as a currency it was used to trade imagine having the hemp dollar right (laughs) and building a valuation on our how we transact with hemp itself or even uh, you know decentralizing and tokenizing that through something like cordal which is what i work on and but having the ability to truly be decentralized and regenerative with our actual economic means by being completely self-sustainable using hemp as one of the mainstays besides uh, new energy and stuff. Um, That's where it's exciting, guys. So if you're listening to this and you're still believing in the carbon credit nonsense, wake up to that because it is a nasty, nasty agenda. And that's my rant. Love it. Thank you, Mike. You said what's in my heart. So... (laughs) Um, and, and I think the other thing that and I, I feel is important to go back to is, you know, creating these these parallel systems that are going to, you know, kind of uh, move into the forefront as these old systems start to just not be able to operate in the changing of frequencies um, and they're just going to be, you know, kind of take all of that old stuff, negative stuff with them in a way um, is is the opportunity to to come back to the land um, because you know, I saw a lot of dysfunctionality in our mindset about creating, let's say, eco villages or eco communities. There's a lot of trauma around that. You, you, you know, you you talk about that in the freedom community about, oh, we're going to create a community, and they're like, oh my god, so much PTSD. It's like, like traumatized, <laughs> and and maybe that was intentional. That that you know that um it can't function. But um, I definitely saw that a lot of people, when they look to go back to the land in any form of kind of community living, there tends to be a lot of idealism um, and, and it, almost like an abandonment of the system. They're like, uh, it's, it's almost like a reaction to the system that they're so traumatized from it that they just want to escape. Um, and I think what, what we saw was that um, they weren't really seeing that the economic side of things isn't a bad thing. Um, you know, it's it's not bad to to have abundance in so many different forms, um, whether that's a you know blockchain or, or whatever that turns out to be. Um, and you know, hemp really is is very abundant. It it kind of feels like it's um economically very abundant in the sense that that you can uh, kind of grow it in that area. There's a lot, there's a lot less inputs needed um and and you know it's it just feels like really really relevant that you know we're we're also creating different ways of thinking about building and and how we eat but our communities as well and and how we kind of dwell together um i feel 
I feel it's important you want to add to that yeah I mean I think that that's we, we've been kind of we came together in a in a way for, with an online community right in a time where people were being intentionally separated from each other and there was this I think the shift that's happened in the last couple of years has really given people a more um, more realistic picture of what's going on so I think to the earlier point how we recreate this is really important because if there's a tendency to just pretend that it's not happening and go back to the old ways we're going to end up with more of the same and so um, we're we're bringing a lot of intention into not just the structures but even the infrastructure of how we're coming together um, and the partnerships that we're creating you know we're not we try not to use the word community um, but word development all these you know as we're we're defining these new ways but I think ultimately we know we need to come back to the land and we know that the lone wolf model is not going to going to work that we need to find ways to be together and to create that economy whereas so for example in our model you know there's not just one garden where we're feeding everyone but everyone is having their own garden and doing animal husbandry to contribute to that economics right and i love that you use that regenerative economics you know um term mike because if we don't go back with this idea of abundance and we're going into fear and we're in scarcity it will be really hard to create this new model and so you know it's knowing that there's an abundance and that we are sharing in that abundance collectively that we each play a part and we you know somebody might be mastering the bees and somebody might be mastering growing tomatoes or, or whatever it is um, that it's going to take a group of people um, from what we're we're learning, and this is having lots of conversations, interviewing lots of people like you guys do, that um, we need to be bringing in the people specifically in those areas that are already doing what we need to learn how to do. That's one really important part of our equation. And then being able to give people the opportunity to get their hands on to come and do it. So we host these return to the land events where we're teaching that. And of course, we have the hands-on hemping class and when we secure the land people will be coming and learning how to grow food so i think that that model being educational based if we don't talk about we're going to be in an intentional community where people think i'm i'm escaping or it's a gated and i'm separated from versus we're coming together around a trade school where we're learning these skills that we have forgotten or we're growing our own food i think that that shifting that context makes it more able for people to be like oh yeah that's something that feels aligned with what where i'm going um so yeah that's that's one of the things that we've mm. come up against and yeah. and i had um out. i had some experience in the 70s with intentional communities and uh, after <laughs> a few months good. my wife and myself hightailed out because we realized everybody was there for the wrong reasons yeah and also nobody had any skill sets or any money so, right uh, that's we, what we hear so we yeah, so we bounce, but you know, um, here in the colonies, that's how we originally started. Was just uh, number one, it was based on freedom. You can do whatever the heck you want. You, you know, this is your little plot. You stake out your claim, and if there's uh, three tailors already in town, you don't you don't open up a tailor shop. You do something else. So communities are very intuitive, and they just should organically uh you know evolve and one other experience we had in our 
brief time in an intentional community is we spend an inordinate amount of time having meetings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and we're like, were those okay, naked, when do we get were those naked meetings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, I wish. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you don't need meetings, you know, everybody just figures out what their purpose in life is, mm -hmm. what floats their boat, what gives you joy, and then you go out and you do it. And typically, if you're in a region where there's so many of different types, you know, you figure out something where you're going to make your own way and not just, uh, you know, be watered down by six other people doing the same thing on the same block. You, you know, you don't really have to plan that much. Yeah. And I was going to say also just look to indigenous culture. You know, they understand the idea of mentorship. They understand the idea of honoring the elder class and having smaller communities. You know, I know there's been multiple studies at different universities showing that when you go larger than 500 people, it breaks down into chaos. Uh, so we're meant to be, you know, in smaller communities like that. I believe that is the future. You guys, Amani, you had mentioned Charles is going to be speaking soon. Charles Eisenstein, he's been a great thinker in talking about the future of how we have the macro to, you know, sort of organization of the planet. The, the nation state does go away potentially, and instead we have sort of bioregions, and that kind of even triggers people, I know, because that gets into like UN agenda stuff. But if you do it decentralized and you do it where it's based on freedom and sovereignty, then that makes a lot more sense where we have pockets of decentralized little communities that then have uh, ability to connect through technology and um, be actually now um, in charge of their lives and being responsible grown-ups too, because we know the way the system has been set, it's raised a bunch of like a, basically grown up kids that were the ones going back to the land bear looking to have their problems solved. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. So, so in the remaining time, I'd like to go full circle back to hemp here. Um, you know, with a lot of building materials that I'm familiar with, some are good for some kind of climate, some, you know, not so good. Is there any area or climatic conditions that hemp wouldn't be best suited for um yeah it's a great question and one that get asked quite a lot um it does really well in cold climates um because it's insulative qualities that it has um and also it has a, a thermal a mass quality which is really interesting and not not that common in building materials to have both insulative and thermal mass quality which gives it an ability to create a kind of a equilibrium in the in, indoor environment. So if it's cold outside, it will keep it in, in the 60s generally. Um, and then if it if it's hot outside, it, it because it has that thermal mass quality, more like a, a masonry, it's able to keep it cooler inside. Um, I have built, we've built in several different climates. Um, one thing we heard recently was that um, in a very kind of tropical, very humid climate and um, you have to be careful about um how thick you build your walls because we you know um we typically like to build around a foot thick walls or, or it can be even more than that and um, because it allows it to to kind of build you know kind of take in the moisture take in the vapor and regulate that environment and also for the thermal qualities but um when it's a very humid environment outside a thick wall will tend to draw the humidity in to the to the not so humid environment inside um to kind of create that, that balance 
So um, you have to, you know, just be careful, conscious. And typically you don't need that thicker wall in a tropical environment because it's not that cold. So um, it, it makes sense logically. So you would, you would probably do, you know, like a, a seven or eight inch thick wall in a, a much more humid climate so that it doesn't start to draw in moisture into the space. Um, but it's still able to, you know, regulate that indoor environment. Um, it does well in dry climates. I think the, the one of the challenges with it is it is as it is now, and um, because it is, we're working with natural materials um not like portland cement which just cures very fast but then it doesn't breathe um with the kind of a roman type of cement which is the hydrated lime which you can buy pretty standard anywhere and and the pozzolans the binders and um, it takes some time to cure so this cure period of you know a month so it could be up to 10 it, years you know still curing yeah, but the, the the immediate curing to the point where you could finish it with like a plaster or something like that can be from, you know, four to six weeks. Um, so it's just understanding you, you during that time, you need to make sure that the walls can, because they're releasing a lot of moisture and you're, you're mixing, you know, every mix you're making, you're putting 10 gallons of water into the, the mixer with the, you know, with 40 pounds of hemp and then a, and a 50 pound bag of lime and some minerals. Um, that's all in the walls. That's all in your structure. All that moisture, and you want to, you want to get it out of there um, inherently, so it can cure back to a stone type of consistency. Um, so it's, you know, I think what's happening in the space right now is they're trying to close that gap with the curing time because that is definitely one of the things that's stopping it from becoming more uh, more mainstream adopted. And um, because you know you can't do nothing on a building site for six weeks. It's it's detrimental to the project, to the timeline and the budget. So, um, but the concern is there that you know, as they create these structural quick drying products, that they'll lose the breathability of that block, and that's the thing that we're looking for: blocks that continue to have the benefit, health benefits of it being a breathing system. And some of what we heard at this expo was like, well, as long as we're using hemp to make these blocks. Um, it doesn't matter if they breathe because we're we're using hemp and that's good for the planet. So yeah. the concern and really where River's taking a stance is making sure that it is a breathing system. Yeah. So it can happen just like, you know, so many other things that, you know, we know yeah. go out there. So so I mean, I think it can, to your question, be be used pretty much anywhere. I think you've just just like anything, really, especially anything that's natural. I think you've just got to be cognizant that that it has some different factors that you need to consider when you're when you're working with it um and they've been using it in europe for for a few decades now yeah. and that's a pretty pretty humid moist climate in england anyway there's a lot of rain there there's a lot of moisture in the environment so it does have a great capacity to handle the moisture we just want to be careful in them humid environments that we don't create a, an issue in indoors you know great thank you on that um now, I know you guys have an event to get to. So yeah, Del Big Chi just meeting. walked by. So that was his loud voice in the background. But yeah, okay, my battery. So, all right. We'll, we'll let you go. But um, in the last couple of minutes, anything, the final comments, things that we didn't cover that you'd like to, and maybe last opportunity to tell folks where they can find you once again. Yeah, we have a couple of different places. I mean, we mentioned our private membership association. So we um, have havenearth.net is our network where we really like to connect people. Um, we have a Telegram channel, which is the Haven Earth Trade School. So that's more for updates and a, and a community one. 
if people are interested in kind of seeing how these houses are built, um, we've got a lot of videos up on our Instagram. So we're still in that world um, just because it's a good way to really get out the hemp message, the education. So on, um, on Instagram, we have one Haven Earth PMA and then Haven Earth Trade School. That'll bring in not only the hemp building, but some of the um, regenerative agriculture things like we're just putting up a course on mitlighter gardening with one of our partners at Texas Ready. So we've really been um, interested in learning that and horizontal beekeeping and PMAs and private structures and land trusts. So we have that. Um, but if people are interested in working with River on like kind of the master plan designs or blueprints or the, the biohouse modular designs, that one is going to be found on havenearth.biz. Um, the online trade school is havenearthtradeschool.net. So yeah, we have a lot of different different places that you can catch up with us. Right, and and to add to that, Amazing. I think um, you know, I'm not generally working on like um custom home projects, design projects per se, because really want to hit a more <clears throat> help support a lot more people than just you know one client per you know every six months or something like that. So I've been putting together blueprints for smaller structures um as little as a non-permitted 120 square foot hexagonal space which actually we had a great uh, we, healing we just, hut we just met somebody a hemp builder at the conference who actually built one of them in canada from my blueprint that one of someone bought last year and um, so it was really great to see that someone could buy a blueprint for well, pennies I, on the dollar of um interject though because um you know we talked about the homes that get, if you were had a home and you only wanted to or only able to renovate a certain room river as always said make it be the bedroom so that you're sleeping in this space and and when he was talking about kind of revisioning these ways that we think of home design you're kind of relabeling that one area would you say sort of as a recharge station because imagine getting a healing session or sleeping in a room that's emf free right because you're creating that kind of space that's going to really reset your entire nervous system again working in complete alignment with the energy of the plants so if you if you can't do the whole house and there's other things coming out like hemp wool which doesn't have the same frequency or um insulation value let's say of the plant when you use it in that more dense form but there's different ways that you could incorporate. Maybe your whole house isn't hemp, is my point. You know, that you could take a certain area and incorporate that or do a little structure on your property to make one of these healing hexagonal, hexagonal huts that you can, you know, use for that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a whole lot more I'd really like to talk to you guys about. Uh, maybe we can do a part two someday in the yeah. near future. Uh, and, yeah. and, uh, um, Amani, what you were just talking about, I'd like to kind of get into the weeds more with that kind of thing and incorporating other technologies, you know, where we can create angles and improve the resonance that's already in the natural materials. And so yes. uh, that's kind of what what floats me. Um, so uh, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, you guys. You're doing such a, a fantastic service and we appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys for having us on. It was nice to connect with Mike in person and we look to come visit you soon. Yeah, I really appreciate, you know, what you what you're saying, Bear, that that um what you guys are doing actually. Yeah. You know, what you guys are doing to give a to give a platform for for people like us who are, you know, kind of going against the grain right now. Um and you know, really for the people, I think this is, you know, a, a moment for us to 
to do what we come here to do. It's a really purposeful time. And um, I really encourage anybody who's thinking about hemp and who's kind of resonating with that, that um, there is so many opportunities in this space, not just building, mm. um, to get into this industry. And um, we really welcome you into our community because we have a lot of people in our, in our online community, in our network, that are excited about this and um you know we had one seven year old lady i'll just share the story really quickly but she came to our workshop two years ago almost two years ago in new mexico I had a little hemp building workshop i did to to build a porta john like a hemp porta john oh, type of thing i called it a, a, a um a poo with a view it was on the lake anyway <laughs> and um, <laughs> but um yeah she came she was too old to build but she she wrote a lot of notes and she was sitting there and I was kind of wondering what she why she here, and then lo and behold she went off and um, started growing hemp. She she found a she, had she this found farmland in Kansas, she had farm family land. land. Yep, she had all this farmland in Kansas. She went out and started growing hemp. She was so inspired. She is circled back around a year later to actually become part of our network. Um, she just believes so much in this plant. She doesn't know why. One of the investors in our biohouse and waiting for a biohouse to be built. Right. The, the, uh, there is something wonderful. about this plant right now that's for us to make a move into a, a much healthier paradigm. And um, we feel super blessed to have the opportunity to, to share that here with you guys and appreciate everything you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, well, brilliant. We do what we do because um, there's a lot of despairing people out there right now. So we, uh, you know, like many other independent podcasters and so forth, you know, we're just uh, bringing all the voices that are actually making the change and letting all the folks that are less optimistic know that we've already won. Uh, it's yes. already a done deal. Yeah, exactly. Right. Beautiful. Hey, this is amazing. And by the way, really enjoyed your book. I'm on the present soil. I read it on the flight home, actually, from Greater Ooh, Reset. That. And it's just really uh so I she gave this to me uh signed at the Greater Reset uh this year when I was there. And oh, great, yeah, really inspiring book because you. you know, we talk about finding your art and finding your vocation, and you're just you both of you guys are great examples of that and that. You found your art through your life of giving to others, and that is the technology you bring out to people, and that is the revolution. It's the inner revolution that's happening, and we're seeing it everywhere uh, on all walks of life. So this was a very inspirational talk, and I hope you guys listening got a lot out of it. And please um, go to the show notes below to check out the link to the HavenEarthTradeSchool.net link we have there to look into the class if you're interested in starting to learn more about this and uh, havenearth.biz as well. And there's little puppy, uh, <laughs> the new addition to the Lando clan. Um, this is and... Bella. She's actually named after my mother, Bella. <laughs> and she will be being and put to be... work uh, out in the uh, uh, shepherding um, my so kids cute. around, probably, <laughs> when they come <laughs> visit. Um, Hey guys, thanks so much. Well, I'll let you get All back right. to the conference. Thank um, you. And and we'll talk to you guys soon. You're welcome to come stay, you know, just holler if you want to come up and visit the summer Sounds or whatnot. Good. Or if you want to come out to Music and Sky, give me a shout. We'd love to see you there. And awesome. remember, guys, get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go plant something, go for a hike, uh, go ground with Mother Nature. She is the greatest teacher. Go show her some love. 
And we'll see you back here Thursday at 10 a.m. with the great Marty Leeds. He'll be here. We'll be talking about his new book about astrotheology. He will be speaking at Music in Sky this year. He's a brother from another mother. So stoked to have Marty back on. So see you back here at 10 a.m. Thursday. Love you guys. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks.